If you're going to teach topically, you need a little bit of context. Now, the context for a whole book is reading the book of Acts and reading a bunch of other books and stuff like that. And so I'll try to lay some context for you about why Paul is writing um, and really about why Paul is writing. He's writing to Timothy. That's not too hard. Uh, so 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul would ever write. Um, he wrote all over the Mediterranean, you know, between Jerusalem and Rome. He's writing 2 Timothy in Rome. If you're a student of the book of Acts, you know that when Paul was in Jerusalem, he's in prison. He's not in, like, lockdown prison. He's kind of under house arrest. It's not that bad. He writes some letters there. He has house guests. He's actually invited before some rulers and authorities, and he, you know, he witnesses to these rulers and authorities. He's, he's given the chance to go free, and when he's in Jerusalem, he says, no, I don't want to go free. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Caesar. So he's, he appeals to a higher, so one authority tries to say, you didn't do anything wrong, man. You can go free. And before he can make that happen, he says, hold it, hold it right there. I don't want your judgment. I want to go before the higher authority in Rome. And so, you know, there's a long trip that he goes on and he eventually makes it to Rome. And I don't know what Paul, I actually, if you, if, if you read some of Paul's letters, Paul seems like a very optimistic guy. He believes he's going to get all the way to Spain. Um, so, of course, they're in Jerusalem, and then Rome is here in the Mediterranean, and then Spain is over way, all the way over here. He talks about how he, he wants to go preach the gospel all the way to Spain. He never gets to Spain. He gets to Rome, and this is his last stop. And his other letters, they're, you know, they're, a lot of them, they're addressing a very specific uh, situation that a church is facing, doctrinally usually. Sometimes it's an interpersonal thing, like with Philemon or Philemon, however you want to say that. <laughs> uh, who's, do we have any Philemon pronouncers in the, in the house? There's one, <laughs> a Philemon. Um, anyway, so he, it, he's usually addressing a specific situation. Second uh, Timothy is like his will, almost. It's his last words, it's, and it's to the person who he was, who he really believed was going to take over for him, was going to kind of take the torch. He was giving the torch to his protege. Um, and he is now in a bad situation. People, church historians believe he got to Rome, he went before Caesar, he preached the gospel to Caesar, and Caesar said, you're definitely going to die we're going to kill you. Uh, he had multiple trials. He indicates in this letter that everyone had abandoned him. So his friends, other Christians in Rome, had sort of seen the writing on the wall and were nowhere to be found during his trial. So he's all alone. And he's writing to, he's writing to Timothy uh, alone, all alone in a miserable prison. I've actually been to these prisons. They're called the Mamertine prisons. And they're like holes in, um, in the ground, and they have, but they don't have a top, so it just rains in there, and rats get in there, and you're just, you're just standing there. It's very small, and, and you just have to sit there until it's your time to die. And Paul, so Paul knows the time is up, and this letter is his last recorded wishes and his last words, um, and it's to Timothy. So just that's the context. Like all of that is the context for 2 Timothy. So we're going to read all of chapter 1. All of chapter 1. So you can read along with me. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without 
ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance your genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phlegius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how he ministered to me at Ephesus. So maybe you can sort of hear more tone in the, in, in the words as we read them all together. See how, he's op- how he opens. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Keep in mind where he is. He's in a bad place. He's in a, a re, he's in the worst place he's ever been. He's in a worse place probably than you'll you'll ever be or I'll ever be. And even in this state, knowing he's going to die soon, <coughs> he acknowledges that he's called. So he's where he's supposed to be. He acknowledges that. Uh, it's Jesus Christ's will that he is in, right? Every Christian needs to take this to heart, that the very best place that you can be is in God's will, but that in God's will, he might lead you to a place of pain, of terrible pain. That's, that's a hard thing to believe, and I think it's something that we learn day by day, daily surrendering to Jesus. I don't think that Paul woke up one day and uh, was ready for this. I think that as he walked as a Christian, he was ever daily prepared for this moment where in prison he can say, I'm here by the will of God. That's very serious, and that kind of surrender and devotion is something that God wants 
for us as well. And it's not a new thing. All the way back in the Old Testament, Job, Job was the first, it's not the first book of the Bible, but it was probably the first book written in the Bible. And Job says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. All the way from Job to Paul, who's in prison, a real Christian can stays when it's good and stays when it's bad. Interestingly enough, there are people who don't stay when it's good either. When it gets good, you go. When it gets bad, you go, right? A Christian whose anchor is in Christ stays in the good and he stays in the bad. And he's clinging to his hope. He, he still has this anchor and we see it in verse one. He's an apostle by the will of God according to the promise of life. He's just about to die. So what is he thinking about? The promise of life in Christ. I know that for most of us, we don't really have to struggle with this, you know, day, you know, day after day. I think when you're confronted with death, that is when you are holding on to the promise of life the most. When someone that you love is dying, that's when you are clinging to this promise the most. Or when you yourself are near death, he's clinging to the promise of life. He thanks God for Timothy for his genuine faith, and he calls him his beloved son uh, right away, his beloved son. We'll, we'll get to that a little more. Paul opens uh, his letter, a lot of his letters saying grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Um, there's a, a pithy saying, sometimes he says grace, mercy, and peace. Sometimes he says grace and peace. Um, there's something, a saying that I, 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 I always remember about this opening. So grace comes first, and then you have peace. You can't have peace unless you first experienced grace. And he always says grace and, and peace uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, I, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did as with as without ceasing i remember you in my prayers day and night paul was a man of faith he had great faith in god he was able to stay near to god in this prison um, but that wouldn't have been able to happen if he wasn't a man of prayer we we talk about this all the time in calvary chapel now i think a couple about maybe 10 years ago god put it on pastor steve's heart um, he said, it was, you guys are preaching the word, you guys are studying the Bible verse by verse by verse, you're going, you know, going deep into the word of God, but you're not praying. And he was deeply, deeply convicted about that. He was like, Pastor Steve was like, I'm not praying enough, our church is not praying enough, we know the Bible, but we're not in fellowship with God daily, like we ought to be. And so it's been a work of 10 years of him going out by himself to pray, him praying and fasting, and, and our church also growing in prayer. And as the church has grown in prayer, it has grown, it has grown, and it has grown in health. The, the, people, uh, the, the people here, and we, have been, we, we see prayers answered. We see prayers answered. It's, it's, I, I just don't believe that the... Personally, I don't believe that if we don't, if I believe that if we don't pray, stuff won't happen. That's the only way I know how to explain it, is that God wants us to pray so that he'll work. I, I don't know why he would rely on us, but for some reason he does. And we're seeing God answer prayers that we thought were hopeless. You know, if, if anyone uh, was here during the ministry meeting uh, to, you know, to hear about a, a church building sort of being a possibility. How long have we been praying for that? You know, like that is, it, it's, it's just something that we can, we can only depend on God for. And Paul is praying for Timothy. So 
what would you be praying for if you're just about to die? Maybe, I don't know if he's, if he's praying, uh, if he's, maybe he's praying for other things too. He's praying for Timothy at, at, on his last moments. Imagine having Paul praying for you. Imagine having Paul praying for you. There's some folks in our church who are, they're Paul prayers. Paul prayers. They're not, does everyone understand that I'm calling them a prayer, not a prayer? Are you hearing the distinction there? There are people in our church who are, like, who are like this. They're praying all the time. And we may give Pastor Steve a lot of the credit for the things that are going on in the church, but uh, he'll be the first person to tell you that if we weren't a praying, a praying church filled with prayers, <laughs> it's funny to me, I don't know. Uh, if, we, it, it, if, if, if we weren't a praying church, then he and we would just be spinning our tires. And the things that we hoped for to happen would, would, wouldn't be happening, wouldn't, wouldn't come to pass. And Paul wants Timothy to know this. He knows this. Paul knows when I pray, God works. And he wants Timothy to know this. A young pastor like Timothy, a, young, a person who's younger in their faith, they can, they can feel like I've got all the strength in the world. If I just can use my wit and my resources and my strength, and then I can get this done. Paul knows that the greatest work that Timothy can do is in the prayer closet. And these are some of the last words that he's ever going to be saying to Timothy. It's wonderful how when we're close to God, um, that he can work through our strong emotion. Right? Paul, I can really imagine Paul weeping as he's writing this letter, thinking like, what am I supposed to say to this kid? I love him so much. I really don't want him to stray. What am I supposed to say? And he's, you know, he's pouring his heart out into this letter. And he's, and he's like, the only thing I, I, I'm doing is I'm, pr- I'm praying for you. And so the Holy Spirit is using Paul's anguish and his love for Timothy to speak to Timothy and to speak to us, right? The, the scripture is, is, it's inspired. It's people who were inspired by God. And their, their words, God is giving, he's using their minds and he's giving them these words they're not, they don't, Paul wasn't, Paul didn't like go into a trance and then write this letter, right? That didn't happen. Like God worked through Paul, through everything Paul knew, through his emotion, through his love to speak uh, and to write this, these words. And God will do the same thing for you and for me when we're close with him. He will, he will work through, I'll move a little over this way, Lena. So you don't have to bend. That's okay. But now I'm, now I'm missing Karen. There's a pillar there. Um, uh, he'll do the same thing for us. Like God can use every part of you. He can use your sorrow, your deep sorrow for, for beautiful purposes, your deep love and passion for his beautiful purposes. Um, every part of you, if you're, if you're near to God, all the, all the places that were, that were corrupted in your old life, all the emotions, all the skills, whatever it is, that were corrupted, God can redeem all of those and use them in a beautiful way. And so, you know, to some people are, and they all need to be surrendered to God, right? So some, some people, they say, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm, uh, Italian, so I just lose my temper all the time, right? That isn't, that isn't, you know, the way that God, God doesn't say, you know, oh, oh, right, you're Italian, and so this area of your life, this sin that you have is just okay, but whatever passion you have, whatever gifts that you have, God can and will use, and he's using Paul's deep, deep, deep emotion uh, as a vehicle for his word, which I think is wonderful. I think is beautiful. He says in verse four that he greatly desires to see Timothy. He's mindful of his tears. 
He wants to see him that he may be filled with joy. It's really an amazing bond. It's a worshipful, amazing bond that I think of uh, when, that has, that's, been, that's created in Christ. I think church is the only place where former gang members and doctors and young single mothers and you know, old people can all come together and have love for each other and hold hands and pray and worship together and, and, and be really close, right? And have real genuine love for each other. There's a bond that f- for many is closer than your bond with your family that's created, which is to the world is madness, right? That's, that's crazy. But when you're in Christ, you experience it. I'm not making this up. When you're in Christ, you experience a bond that's closer than with your blood relatives. Paul isn't related to Timothy. He's known him for six or seven years, but he's calling him son right away in verse two. He's, he's calling him son. And he wishes that Timothy could be with him on his, you know, his last days on earth. You know, I, that's, that's such an intimate relationship that he has with him, right? Who do you want to, with, who do you want to be with you on your deathbed, right, is, the, is kind of the question that, that we're answering here. Paul has this deep, close connection with Timothy that was, that was bought and purchased by, by Christ. I just praise God that we're, we have this living and loving family. But we also have a, a, a normal, a, you know, the blood family. In verse five, he says, I, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Paul knows his family. Paul knows Timothy's family, Right? Like, this is not, you know, you, you may hear whatever, it's like some cults, right, where you just have to, you leave and you move to Wyoming and you never speak to your family again, and, right? Paul knows his grandma and he knows his mother and he knows Timothy very well, right? He loves all of them. And this is really a, a point about discipleship. If you're going to be discipling someone, and Paul was a mentor, a discipler of Timothy, you, you have to be a part of their whole life, right? You have to know their mom, know their dad, know their siblings, right? You have to become a part of their life, just like, you know, you want them to be a part of your life. He knows his mom, he knows his grandmother, and he knows that their faith influenced him. It really, as much as a spirit, as much as I think any person, I, I don't know if this can be overstated, godly, a godly mother is, I think one is, is I, I would say one, the, the greatest vehicle for people getting saved, having a mom who is saved. Um, and I'm, of course, I'm talking about, you know, God is filling someone with the Holy Spirit. It's always the Holy Spirit who is saving people. But I think more than street evangelists, I think more than preachers on Sunday mornings and Tuesday evenings, moms who love Jesus are bringing more people to Jesus than those folks. And we don't give them, they don't get as much credit, and they, they, they should a mom who is praying for you. My mom, my mom used to, my mom used to pray for me as I was going to high school. I, I high school started at school started at seven forty five, and there'd be some days where I was just sprinting out of the door at seven forty and just running down the hill uh, to to school. And she would always come out after me, and she would pray, uh, probably just watching me sort of circle the corner. And and I remember as an adult thinking, like. I, I've never thought about like what good things happened to me or what bad things didn't happen to me because of those prayers. I just, I just was trying to get to school and you know, sort of behind me was this woman who had been teaching me 
about God so much, you know, as I, I, was, as I was growing up, and she was saying like, Lord, I pray that he wouldn't be an idiot, you know, whatever it is. Um, at, you know, she's, she's shouting these, she probably didn't say that. My mom would never say that word. Um, she's, too, <laughs> she's too ladylike. Um, so, you know, I, I, I took that for granted my whole high school years. And then as, you know, once I became a young adult, I, I thought like, I have no idea of the benefit that I've experienced. And when I say I have no idea, I have no idea. Like, what are the things that God has done in my life because she was praying for me every day? I, I don't know. Um, and Paul knows this. He knows this about Timothy. He knows that uh, not only do I see this faith in you, but you have had a mom and a grandma who have been praying for you and who have been teaching you. So... Um, he says to Timothy, he says, I know the faith that's in you. I know, the, I know where you come from. I know your mom. I know your grandma. Let's talk about you now. Let's talk about you. He says, uh, he says in verse 6 that he says, I remind you. So he says, therefore, whenever someone, whenever you see the word therefore, ask why it's, what it's there for. Um... I remind you, therefore, I remind you. Why is he saying therefore? I know, I know you, I know your mom, I know your grandma. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a strong mind. Paul says to Timothy, I know you, I know where you come from, I know what you can do, I know what you're supposed to do, and you ought to do it. You ought to use that gift. Scripture teaches, I believe, that every Christian is given a spiritual gift. That means it's not something that just sort of they have, it's not a talent, it's something that God has given them, right? It's something from another, another it's, it's from God, it's like from another dimension, and he has given it to you. And he says to Timothy, you, this gift, I know that you have it, I know where you come from, I know which, who you are, you're supposed to use it, Timothy, and some people, uh, I, you know, it, it's their, it's their, it's so every Christian, it's their job to use this gift, whatever it is. Uh, some people don't know what their gift is. They don't know what their spiritual gift is. And I have a trick for you. If you want to learn, it, I wanted the snap to be snappier. If you want to learn, what, if you want to find out what your spiritual gift is, does anyone here want to know what your spiritual gift is? I do. You can raise your hand or not. I hope everyone is raising your hand in your head. If you want to find out what your spiritual gift is, serve in ministry in some way. Pick up stuff after church. Watch a baby, you know, uh, help with kids. You know, do, do something, and while you're doing it, God will show you. God will show you what that gift is. Some people, you know, I think it's, it's ready right away, Maybe. But if you're, if you're like, man, I don't, I just, I love Jesus. I don't know what to do. I just want to help. Then help and he'll show you what it's supposed to be. I tell you what, no one ever found out what their gift was sitting on the sofa complaining that they didn't know what gift God had given them. And so they didn't want to do anything because they didn't know what their gift was. You know, you see this, this dumb, I'm sorry, I'm using words my mom wouldn't like. You see this cycle Right? This cycle is, it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's not productive and it's, it's sinful. It's sinful. If you have, if you're a Christian, you are meant to be working in the kingdom of God. You're meant to be working in the kingdom of God. Um, and when you're using it, it's like a muscle, right? You, you know, it's getting stronger. You do, you, you do it one day and you're like, oh man, I'm tired. You do the next day and you just do a little bit more. Wow, I'm tired. I have to wait a whole, whole nother week. That's what a spiritual gift is like. And you're working it out, you're working it out, and God is using you and ever more and ever more. He tells Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel, nor of him, nor of Paul and his chains. He says, God has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began and now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel. Paul is, in every moment, he's clinging to the gospel of grace. He's clinging to the gospel of grace. He's, he knows that clinging to this is the reason why he's in this prison cell, right? He's saying, a, a, he's saying a, it's news. Gospel uh, means good news. It's news. It's something uh, that is new to a lot of people when you tell them that Jesus died for you, that you have sin, you have a sin problem. And if you don't, if you don't deal with that sin, and if someone doesn't deal with that sin problem, you're going to have to deal with it. And you dealing with it means you're going to suffer God's wrath. You're going to suffer God's wrath. That's, that's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news is that God made a way for you to not have to deal with it. And that is to follow his son, Jesus Christ. His son, Jesus Christ, was born on, as a person, there was people who believed Jesus wasn't a real person. He was like a ghost who floated around. How could he be a real person and never sin? He never sinned. He died. He didn't do anything wrong, right? Sinning is doing, doing something bad. He, ne- he died. He didn't do anything wrong. And is that it? That's not it. We stop there. We stop at Jesus, he lived a perfect life. Has anyone, ever, has anyone ever done this on accident? Like, Jesus, what's the gospel? Jesus died for my sins. That's true, that's true, but that's not it. That's not it. What's the, what's the, last, what's the last part? That he raised from the dead. That's the last part. That's the, most, that, that's the part that brings it all together. He's convinced that no matter how good or bad he's doing, that if he's in jail, if he's, you know, having a great time, if the gospel is true, if it's true that I was going to have to deal with my sin, but now, but then he did it and he rose from the dead to prove that he did it. You remember when Jesus said to the Pharisees, when he says, there's a lame man, a paralyzed man in front of him. And he, he says to the Pharisees, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? And they're like, uh, I don't know. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, Who's, who can forgive sins? And he says, rise up and walk. And the guy rises up and walks. So do you think that guy's sins were forgiven? They were. And he proved that they were forgiven because the guy rose up and walked. Now, Jesus said, if you follow me, your sins are forgiven. How do you know? I rose from the dead. Right? That, now, now, now Paul Paul's convinced. He says, what can I do? I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced this is the gospel. You know, they're threatening to kill me. What can I say? It's true. He says, I, I, for this reason, I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's what he has decided. And for Timothy, how should, how should Timothy behave He says in verse 13, hold fast, hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith, in love, which are in Christ Jesus, the thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. Paul says, Timothy, things are bad. They're gonna get worse. They're gonna get worse for you. Timothy would die too in in not a good way. Almost everyone in the early church, uh, they all got killed for, for telling people the gospel. So he says, you know what? Stuff's bad for me. It's going to get bad for you too, but don't run away. Hold fast. Hold fast. There's a, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, yeah, I, I, you know, like in a, in a storm, like in a, if, I've never seen anyone do this probably because it has never happened ever, but you know, like in a hurricane, you see like this funny thing where someone's holding on to uh, like a, like a, a stop sign or, or whatever I mean. You know, what I, you know what I mean? Have you ever seen this silly thing? I'm sure that's, that's never happened in real life. Um, but that's what, hold, think of that. Hold fast. Like stuff's crazy, but hold on to the thing that doesn't move. Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. Hold fast to that, Timothy. He wants Timothy to, to get this. Keep going the right way. Why? Why does he want Timothy to, do, to, do, to, to know this? He was like, you know, t- stuff's going to get bad, but stay with the truth. Why does he want, why is he saying this to, t- to Timothy? 
because not everyone did this, right? Verse 15, it says, this you know. So you're saying, Timothy, I'm telling you, hold fast, because you know, in verse 15, he says, that everyone who is in Asia, they all turned away from me, including Philegius and Hermogenes. So these are, two, these are two guys that used to hang out with them, that used to spend time with them. And Paul uh, is saying to Timothy, you remember these guys? Stuff got hard, and they were out of there. Not you, Timothy. You stay. You stay. Let's move to chapter 2. What time is this supposed to end, Matt? I'm not going to finish this book. <laughs> Maybe we'll get through chapter 2. To those who entered late, I said I was going to try to finish the whole book, but we'd be, uh, we, would, we will not be finishing the whole book. <laughs> chapter 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must, first, must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, I, I, this is kind of a song. So I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one, the first one, and you guys are supposed to echo me, right? Because this is how they did it, right? They would be kind of like a back and forth. So can we try that? So can we try that? So I'm going to say one line, and then you're going to say the next line. And then I'm going to say one line, and you're going to say the, the, uh, the next line, okay? Can we try that? Chances are we won't get it right, but we're going to try it, okay? For if we died with him... We shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent, Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings. They will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord with, out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife 
And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Some people near Paul had gone away, and so Paul, what does he do? He encourages Timothy to stay the path that he's in. What does that mean? Be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. What does grace mean? Grace is kind of a churchy word. It's the grace, a gospel of grace is the opposite of a gospel of works. The gospel of works is, if you're good enough, God will let you into heaven. But that is not what the Bible teaches, is it? The Bible teaches that all your good works are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. In Hebrew, where this verse comes from in Isaiah, it says that our good works are like filthy rags before God. That word filthy rags is, this is a, ready, this is a gross word here, but it's not, I didn't write it, so you don't, you know, so just don't blame me for it. It's menstrual rags is the words that, is the word that Isaiah uses. So he says, your best works, that's what they're like before God, right? Kind of gross. Not good enough to get into heaven, right? Even our best, even our best things that we do are tainted by our motives, by our bad motives, by our desire for recognition. Even if it's just, I just want to feel good about myself, right? They're all, it's all messed up. We need someone else. We need someone else's good works. And the gospel of grace is, your works aren't good enough. But Jesus' works were good enough. And Jesus' death was enough. And his resurrection proved it. Be strong in grace, he says. Grace means that grace means that I deserved something bad, right? I am an evil person. Even the good things that I do have evil all mixed up in it. But instead of getting what I deserve, I get what I don't deserve. That's grace. That's the gospel of grace. Now, where how, how can I brag if that's the gospel? How can I say, oh, I, have, I come from this good line, this good heritage, or look at all the good stuff that I've done? You can't do that. If it's the gospel of grace, that means that everyone is on the same playing field. No one sort of, no, no, one, gets to, no one pays the bare minimum to get into heaven. Jesus paid the maximum for everyone who goes to heaven. That's the gospel of grace. It's surrendering to Christ, following Christ, a relationship with Christ. And Paul tells Timothy, don't move away from that. Don't move away from the gospel of grace. Every Christian has this, has, has this same charge. I charge, I exhort each one of you to not move away from the gospel of grace. That it's not by your merit that you're saved, not by your good works that you're saved, but that your works were filthy rags and your sin was a ticket to hell, to God's wrath, to everlasting wrath. But God, in his grace, in his mercy, he saved you from that. How can, how, what, how can I think that I'm better than another person if that's true? I can't, right? And Paul says, you hold fast to that and you teach other people to that same thing. So it's not just about you. It's you and then you're teaching other people too, this good news. It's not, is it news if I don't tell anyone, right? If I have good news and I don't ever tell anyone, is it news? I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's good news. You know, do you know the good news? Now you're, t- now you're supposed to tell other people. If, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, you need to be teaching other people about Jesus. Now those people may be little people, if you're a mom, right? But they, it's true. It's true for all kinds of people. If you're a Christian and you're in this room, 
You need to be telling people about this truth. And if you're not, you're in sin. You're disobeying God if you're not. What should Timothy's attitude be? He says, Timothy, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel of grace. What should your attitude be? He gives three examples. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. He says, the soldier, he sticks to his task, and he doesn't get mixed up with the world. He's focused. What is he focused on? Verse 4, he's focused on pleasing him who enlisted him as a soldier. So the soldier wants to, wants to please his superior officer. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. The athlete, he's not crowned. He doesn't get the, the medal. He doesn't get the crown unless he competes according to the rules. He wants the crown. He wants the prize. And so he conducts himself or herself in a manner that allows them to attain the prize. What does he want? He wants the prize. And so what does he have to do to get to the prize? He's disciplined off the field and he's disciplined on the field. He's focused. He's focused on the prize. And the farmer is focused on getting the reward of a good crop. Timothy, you need to be focused. Christian, in this room, you need to be focused. Lord knows. There's a million and a half things out there. But there's one thing for the Christian. That was true back then for Timothy. Timothy didn't have social media. He had people chasing him down. He had, Christ, he had people in the church who wanted to argue with him about meaningless stuff. He still had stuff that, that distracted him. Some, some Christians are focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on something, but they're focused on the wrong thing. And some Christians aren't focused on anything at all. And if that's, if that's you, if you don't know where you're going, then you probably won't go anywhere. You'll just stay where you are. And then you'll die. <laughs> Be focused and go. Jesus commands us to go. He continues, Paul continues, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Remember, it's not just that he came from heaven and lived a perfect life and he died for our sins. He also raised he was also raised from the dead. That's different. That's different. Right? And that, that belief that he raised from the dead allowed Paul to be in chains in Rome with rain and rats coming in from the ceiling or whatever it was. You know how he said that he was in this, in this plaza, right? There's nothing, there's nothing above him. It was, a, it was an awful place. And he's sitting there and he's like, what can I do? It's true. Right? I'll be lying to myself if... If I, if I changed my mind, if I said it wasn't true. And he says in verse 10 of chapter, of chapter 2, he says, I endure all these things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation. Are you Christian? Are you willing to endure a little suffering so that people come to know Jesus? Now that might mean physical suffering. That might mean emotional, you know, they're making, they're, what are they going to think of me? They're, are, they're making fun of me. Um, that also might mean money, right? Our money belongs, if, when, if you're a Christian, your whole life belongs to the Lord, right? If, if, if you need to take someone out for a cup of coffee and, and buy their cup of coffee so that you can tell them about Jesus, you know, so when someone, I don't know how you, you know the feeling when someone pays for your food? You listen to everything they say, right? Some, some, of, some of us need to, need to keep that in mind, right? That when I need to be willing to spend my money, spend my time, spend my reputation on people, he say, Paul says, I'm willing to endure all of this for the sake of the, 
for the sake of the elect. I want people to get saved. I'll, I'll sit here in this prison if it means that people are going to know Jesus. And he gives them this, this hymn. He says, if we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Paul wants Timothy to hold on to these truths even as, life got even as his life got difficult. And he wants Timothy to teach these truths. There's never a time to stop teaching. Paul's in a prison teaching these truths, right? Can you imagine if Paul, we wouldn't be reading this letter if Paul said, I've had enough, I need a break, I'm in jail, I'm not gonna write another letter. I told Timothy enough. He can figure it out. There's other people. He can go talk to Peter, right? I'm in jail. I wanna, I wanna have a break. Can you imagine if Paul said that? If in his low moments, he was like, I just can't do it anymore. No. When he was in prison, he was like, I have a word that I need to speak. I need, I need to say something to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want you to be focused. I want you to be focused. I'm focused right now, says Paul. I want you to be focused. I want you to be careful on who you spend your time with. He says in verse 16, shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. He's saying, Timothy, don't waste your time with people who just want to argue with you. If someone wants to argue with you about some obscure thing, if they're a mocker, you guys, know, you guys ever met a mocker? Now, praise God, God sometimes turns mockers into believers. He does. But believers can waste their time going back and forth with a mocker. Oh, you said that, I'm going to say this. You said that, I'm going to say this. It's like tennis. It just goes back and forth and back and forth. God doesn't, play, doesn't need you to play tennis with someone, right? God needs you to tell the truth, and if they're like, well, that's not, you know, if they, if they, I'm like, all right, you know, and you can keep moving on. You know, for every one person who's a mocker, there's five people out there who are ready to receive the word, who are going to listen. As a super practical application of this, Right, that you can waste your time with people. You remember we're talking. He's talking about focus. Some like ninety percent of the of the time that's spent on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, is a waste of time for the believer. It is wondering about what's going on in other people's lives as you never talk to them. Waste of time. Remember, what, Paul, what does Paul want Timothy to have? Soldier, athlete, farmer, focus. Paul, need, Paul says, Timothy, you need focus. We need focus. You need focus in your Christian life. And he continues, in a great house, there's vessels of gold and silver. This is verse 20. There's also vessels of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you have your calling, you have your gift, I know you got the qualities, but Timothy, I also know you have bad qualities, Timothy, I know you have bad qualities. You got vessels of gold, vessels of silver, you got the good stuff, you got the bad stuff in you too. Timothy, you're going to have to work on those parts. You're going to have to take out those vessels of, of clay and of wood. And it's the same for you. By God's grace, there's good, I, every Christian that I meet, there's vessels of gold and silver in them. And every Christian I meet, there's vessels of clay and wood. Paul says to Timothy and Paul says to you, you've got to recognize that. You've got to recognize that. You've got to recognize the parts of you that need to change and just like the athlete who trains off the field, you know, when you see those, the sprinters, right? Those sprinters, they, there's not, they're not eating a lot of cheeseburgers, right? They're careful about what goes into their body, right? And a Christian 
who's like this athlete, they're careful about what goes into their body too. They're careful about what goes into their eyes. They're careful about what comes out of their mouth. They're careful about who they spend their time with, right? They're careful, they're focused. And that is work, isn't it? That's work. It's uncomfortable work. Has anyone ever really worked out like real hard to get, that's, oh man, it's work. It's work. And the Christian life, God, you're not saved by works, but you're saved for works. God has prepared works for you. He's prepared, uh, he's prepared, a, he's preparing a person for you to be a, a different person. God, Paul is clear, salvation is not of works. You're not gonna get to heaven and God says, all right, you know, you did enough, you can go in, Right? That doesn't mean that there's no work for the believer. Now, the funny thing is, is you get to kind of choose where you work because you can, you're going to work. You're going to work in the world. You're going to work. You're going to work somewhere. You get to choose where you work, right? Where, where are you going to spend your time, right? Paul, is, Paul says that you, need, you do need to get to work, Timothy, Whatever those dishonorable things are, maybe he had a bad temper, he, keeps, he, he calls out Timothy's fear. If, if you have a spirit of, he says, Timothy, that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, he gave us a spirit of power. Maybe Timothy is a coward and he needs to man up and he needs to not run away when things get hard and he needs to speak up when he doesn't want to. I don't know what it was. But whatever those things are, Timothy, work on them. How to do, what does this mean practically? He says, in the, he says in the verse, in verse 22, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Whatever your lusts are, flee them. But don't just flee them. You gotta pursue something else. You can't just leave the old, you can't just, there's, there's the parable about the demon that goes into the house and that he's, wrestled out of the house but no one else moves into the house and a lot for a lot of us it, it's it, it has been like that over the years where there was some awful thing and by god's grace we got it out it was it got out of there but then nothing moved in and so what happens later that demon comes back with seven of his friends comes back worse than before it's 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 scary and it happens it happens if you don't, it, so he says, flee youthful lust, what you do? Pursue righteousness, love, faith, and peace with those who call on the Lord. So flee this thing, run away from that thing, and run to this thing. It's not just enough to not sin. The Christian life is not about not, not ever sinning again. The Christian life is about following Jesus. It's not about being a monk and just, shutting out everything and never seeing or doing anything bad ever again. It's about following Jesus. A Christian is called to good works. There's a saying that I made up. Faith is the root and the works are the fruit. Right? You know, you know the tree is alive. You know the tree has good, good roots because you see the fruit. Right? And that's... It's not, it's not the fruit that makes the tree alive. It's the roots that are getting all the nutrients. Uh, you know, it's the roots that are getting all the water from the ground. But you know it's a good tree. You know it has good roots when there's fruit hanging off of it. Does it I think it sounds, I think, I don't know. Anyway, focus. Don't waste your time. Whatever God has you doing, whoever God has you teaching, you need focus. We need focus. Timothy needed focus. And I'm, I'm definitely not getting all the way to, to chapter four, but we'll end, uh, we'll end here. He says, in humility, correct those who are in opposition. Perhaps God will grant them repentance. You don't need to scream at people to get them into, the, in, into heaven. Right? God's the one who does the saving. So if you tell someone the gospel and they're just like, no, you know, 
And sometimes people react like that, right? Okay, okay. you know, you, God's the one who does the saving. If, someone is, if someone's putting up a wall, or someone's maybe not even putting up a wall, they're putting up swords, you can go, you can go tell someone else, right? Come back to them later, right? Buy them a cup of coffee, right? Whatever, it, you know, and they're like, I don't want to talk about God. Try again later. You don't, you, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to do God's work for him. God does the, God does the hard work. 